broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network. This is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Thank you for being with us on this edition of Cultural Baggage. My name is Dean Becker. Here in just a, a moment, we'll have with us two guests from the SAFER organization based out of Denver and Colorado and now branching out across the United States to uh, colleges. Uh, we'll also hear a bit later from Rick Doblin. We'll talk about the recent uh, ayahuasca ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. But uh, I think without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring in, uh, I guess, first Mason Tavert. Hi, Dean. Hello, Mason. Uh, you are the communications director for SAFER? I'm actually the campaign director. Uh, campaign director. Thank you for that. And uh, you and your associate, Mr. Fox, have uh, been working to enlighten people. We have been. You know, uh, it's um, unfortunate that with 70-plus years of marijuana prohibition in this country, uh, many people believe that marijuana is actually far more harmful than, than, than it is. And uh, our... Our goal is to educate people about the fact that marijuana is actually less harmful than alcohol. Now that hopefully the listeners can uh, have acclimated themselves to your voice, let's go ahead and bring in your associate, uh, the executive director of SAFER, Mr. Steve Fox. Hello, Steve. Hey, Dean. How are you? Uh, good to have you with us. Uh, yeah, you know, you guys have uh, taken this beyond Denver. You're now looking to uh, create a similar law for the whole state of Colorado. And, uh, Steve, tell us again, what was that law that was passed in Denver? What does it mean? Well, in Denver, we put an initiative on the ballot that simply made it so that where the law originally said no person shall possess up to an ounce of marijuana, we just revised the law so it said no person under the age of 21 shall possess up to an ounce of marijuana. So basically it was making it legal for anyone 21 years of age or older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana under Denver City ordinances. Uh, what the people, the law enforcement officials and city leaders in Denver are now saying is that they must enforce state law, so they're still um, giving people $100 fines under state law. Uh, but first of all, they, they don't need to do that. Um, it's their choice to do that. And But what we're doing now is moving on because they're doing that, we're saying, okay, well, then we're going to change state law. So we're now pushing for a similar change at the state level in Colorado. Now, Mason, you guys have, as I mentioned earlier, branched out a bit. Uh, you're working at the University of Texas. There's a, a vote forthcoming there. But what just happened at Florida State University? Uh, well, yeah, out in Florida State, uh, the students went ahead and followed the lead of the students out here in Colorado uh, by voting to... Uh, send the message to the university's administration that the students do not think the university's penalties for marijuana violations should exceed those penalties for alcohol violations. Um, as we're all unfortunately aware, alcohol has been truly devastating on many of our college campuses. Um, in, in fact, out here in Colorado, we had uh, many, uh, multiple students die uh, solely from alcohol overdoses. And, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's really a bad message that we're sending these kids that uh, you're going to be punished more for using a less harmful drug in marijuana. I mean, if a college student uh, would prefer to use 
use marijuana instead of using alcohol, which we know, you know, leads to overdose death and uh, sexual assault, date rape, uh, fighting, and so on. Why should? Why would we ever want to stop them? It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And uh, the students out in Florida State clearly agreed. They voted 60 to 40 to uh, pass that initiative and send that message to the administration. Uh, we hope that that administration will be responsive. Uh, and uh, like you mentioned, the University of Texas will be voting on this soon. Uh, that is also a city where we saw a young person die of an alcohol overdose recently. Um, and you're seeing this trend now, and, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the message we're sending young people that uh, alcohol is acceptable because it's supposedly legal. Well, you know, I am a medical marijuana patient. I have a doctor's recommendation from the state of California. And my reason, my basis is I am an alcoholic. And uh, an occasional use of marijuana helps me to, uh, I don't know, stem those heebie-jeebies or whatever you want to call it, but uh, a little over 20 years now without a drink. And I truthfully owe that to the use of medical marijuana. Your, your thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, uh, we've we've heard that many times. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about uh, Todd McCurry and and other people who have who have studied, uh, or, or maybe actually uh, uh, Tom O'Connell. Yes, or, Dr. Um, O'Connell, you bet. Yeah, out out in California has done a lot of uh, research showing that that marijuana actually is helpful for people uh, suffering uh, alcoholism. Uh, but but sure, I mean the. It's, you know, Peter Lewis, who's one of the great funders of uh, marijuana policy reform, was told by his doctor that he was basically drinking himself to death and that he should switch to marijuana. And it's just, mar alcohol is, is toxic and it literally can kill you. And marijuana really can't. And, and it's insane that, that that's what our whole campaign is about. It, it's just insane that people are actually punished for choosing marijuana instead of alcohol. And all we're saying is that marijuana is a safer choice, and we're not trying to ban alcohol. We're just saying that if people want to smoke marijuana, they shouldn't be punished for doing so. Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, outside of the, the, the safer group, there are many other citizens or coalitions uh, around the nation that are trying to bring about change within their state or their city, their locale. Uh, a couple of recent examples, even politicians in the state of Rhode Island uh, recently uh, voted to uh, allow for medical marijuana. That the politicians are beginning to reject the uh, propaganda, if you will, of, of the government. Uh, your, your thoughts on that, Mason? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a great thing to see this uh, take place at the legislative level. Uh, it's obviously great to see elected officials represent the people when they when they uh, say they want something. So we are obviously very pleased when that happens. But uh, unfortunately, this is an issue that's very hard to touch for many politicians because marijuana has been demonized for so long. So what we need to do is is demonstrate to these uh, elected officials that it's safe to be in favor of reforming these crazy marijuana laws. And uh, we, we really did do that out in Denver, where the people overwhelmingly voted in support of this, and we are hoping that those folks who uh, represent Denver will stand up for this. Uh, whether they do or don't is, is uh, still yet to be determined, but, uh, you know, a lot of times some issues are just a little too touchy for elected officials to deal with, and it takes the people voting on it to show them that uh, they're okay. 
Well, you know, the uh, the city of Oakland, I believe it was, had a Proposition Z, which was uh, to move the enforcement of the marijuana laws down the ladder, uh, to uh, have their law enforcement officials disregarded in favor of more pressing needs, if you will. And uh, I noticed that uh, just today I got a letter uh, that the city of Santa Cruz is going to do a, uh, a similar ballot. Uh, your thoughts on that, Steve? It can be done on the local level, can it not? Yeah, yeah, there, there's certainly this, uh, I wouldn't say started in Seattle, but the sensible Seattle lowest law enforcement priority initiative really gained a lot of, uh, notoriety, uh, and, and, and that is one way that, that people are going about this. They're saying that this should be the lowest law enforcement priority. That's, uh, what they did in Oakland. I believe that's what they're doing, um, in other localities in California. Um, but we're we're trying to take it even one step further. We're saying this shouldn't be a law enforcement priority at all. And just being really direct about this and saying that there shouldn't, there, as I said before, there's just no reason to punish an adult for choosing marijuana, and we want it off the books entirely. Um, so, yeah, it is. Uh, to make it a lowest law enforcement priority, I think, is, is actually an easier vote uh, for people to to make because in, in fact it it is pretty low on the priority scale already but it's still out there and it's still used and if people are are caught with marijuana they're given a ticket or in some states they're arrested and and possibly serve a little time um, so yeah we just we just want to be really direct about it and push it as hard as we can and say this is just an insane system, and we just need to give people the, the freedom to choose it if they want. Mason, let, let me ask you, uh, what would you recommend for people in states like Texas, where we have no uh, uh, ballot initiative, no referendum available to us? How do we influence our politicians? How would those in other states similar to Texas help well, bring about a change? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, you know, I'm sorry. My last comments referred only to states with ballot initiatives are only 26. So, um, obviously, there are a lot of states where they don't have that option. Um, what I would recommend is organization. You know, um, a, a large group of uh, determined people can really go a long way. I don't know. I think it's like a Margaret Mead quote that uh, you know. It just takes a small group of very determined individuals to make a large difference. And I definitely agree with that. And uh, if people did get together and they did hold events to raise attention to this, and, and that's a key part of what we do is generate media coverage about this uh, ridiculous marijuana law as well as uh, about the need for reform. And uh, unfortunately, if there aren't groups out there to make news about this, the only news we hear is that, you know, uh, Joe Schmo shot himself in the foot the other day and happened to have some marijuana on him. And, uh, you know, they continue to send that, that ridiculous message that marijuana users are stupid and, and cause other problems. And we need to get the news out there that there are many marijuana users who are responsible citizens who don't break any other laws, and uh, they should not be forced to use alcohol when they might otherwise choose to make the safer choice to use marijuana instead. You know, I uh, I try on a constant basis. I did again this week. Tried to contact the DEA headquarters. Try to have them provide a representative to come on the Drug Truth Network and and explain the need for this drug war. And of course, they absolutely refuse. You you guys were uh, nose to nose, or almost, I suppose, with the drug czar just a couple of weeks back. How did that go? Was he? Did he debate you? How how did he respond to your questions? 
Well, I guess I'll answer that. Um, you know, I was I was on the ground here in Colorado when he arrived, and I was actually fortunate enough to be invited uh, to do the morning program on Fox's local news affiliate. Uh, they also had the drug czar who was going to be on the program, and they wanted him to appear at the same time, but he refused. Um, Obviously, you know, they know that uh, when they're put side by side with someone who's going to bring up many of these points, they are going to have to answer questions they don't want to answer. Um, for example, you know, if I would have been able to be with the drugs are, I'd ask him, you know, a couple questions. For example, do you think alcohol should be illegal? Because if he thinks that, then obviously he's not in tune with the American public. But uh, if he said that he thinks it should be legal, then it would point out how hypocritical his entire organization is. Um, but they don't want to be asked questions like that. They don't want to be asked why it's okay for them to use alcohol or to go to a bar and drink when it's illegal for an individual to sit in the privacy of their own home and use a drug far less harmful than alcohol. Um, so they're going to continue to avoid that debate, and it's up to groups like ours and, and other groups that are getting active around the country to confront these officials and be creative to, to get them um, on camera and, and answering these hard questions. Thank you. Uh, that was Mason Tovert. We're speaking with Mason and uh, uh, Steve Fox, the executive director of SAFER. Steve, let me ask you, uh, uh, where might folks learn more about your organization on the web? Sure. Uh, yeah, go to saferchoice.org. And we also now have a campaign site for our initiative, which is safercolorado.org. And, and with the idea being that you'll take this uh, this type resolution and uh, make it applicable to the the whole state of of uh, Colorado, because as I understand, the uh, the law enforcement officials are saying, well, if we can't uh, arrest people under the city law, we will do it under state law. Y your thoughts there? Exactly. Yeah, we are doing it on the state level. Our ballot language was just approved this week, and we are going to start the signature drive. Next week, um, we will be collecting 100,000 signatures over the next five months, and then the people will vote in November. And if this initiative passes, then the possession of up to an ounce of marijuana will be legal in Colorado under state law. Well, it seems that this is a... Uh, we're carving out the stair steps as we climb this 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 cliff of prohibition but we, we do find great support along the way uh, folks like milton friedman uh, uh former police chief joe mcnamara and uh, many others including just today i saw something from walter cronkite the tide is shifting is it not mason Oh, absolutely. You know, more and more people are starting to think for themselves and and look a little deeper into this ridiculous campaign that's been run for so many years to keep marijuana illegal. And, uh, you know, what it comes down to is our federal government's really just been playing a game for about 70 years trying to convince people that marijuana is harmful. And, you know, what we're doing is uh, we're ending that game and, and proving otherwise. You know, we're, we're letting people know that marijuana is, in fact, uh, a relatively benign substance and it's less harmful than a drug that many thousands of people, millions of people use across this country on a daily basis. And uh, people who make that choice to use marijuana instead of alcohol should not be punished for it. No, absolutely right. Uh, we are running out of time. Uh, Steve, I want to give you the, the last thought here. Uh, what would you like to relay to my audience? I would just encourage them to be not necessarily active. I know it's hard for a lot of people to really be active. They have busy lives. But, but everyone who agrees with what we're saying should just feel free to talk about it. And, you know, when they talk to friends, family, coworkers, just 
explain that, uh, you know, I don't want them getting fired from their jobs, but in the appropriate situation say, yeah, I use it. What's the big deal? It's less harmful than alcohol. I mean, that's, that's really what we're getting at. One, after our initiative passed in Denver, there was an article in the Denver Post that I think people could still find on mapinc.org. And it was just about mothers in Denver who voted for our initiative, and they smoke, and they hope that their daughters uh, smoke instead of drink when they're in college. And, and one person said at the end that because the initiative passed, she felt freer to talk about this. And, and the support is there. The, the general public understands that marijuana is, is less harmful than alcohol, at least a significant portion. And, and other people just need to hear it because a lot of people only believe the myths and haven't heard the truth. So, so just keep talking about it. That's what I would say. All right. Gentlemen, thank you both so much. And uh, we appreciate you being with us here on Cultural Baggage. Thank you. Right. Thank you. It's time to play Name That Drug by Its Side Effects. Sleepiness, memory impairment, impaired speech, abnormal coordination, reduced sexual drive, emotional and or physical dependence, seizures, nausea, vomiting, tachycardia, and heart palpitations. Time's up. The answer is Xanax, another FDA-approved product. Drug Prohibition. 90 years of success. Lead us to this day. Our children pick up the phone and drugs are delivered within the hour. Because that's how we like it. Overdose deaths, preventable by a phone call, are assured by paranoia. Yes, we are number one. Violent drug gangs are the scourge of our continent. We insist that their jobs pay so very well. Terrorists turn flowers into million-dollar bankrolls to buy bigger weapons to kill us. So each year, we give them $500 billion to make it so. We are the champions of the world. I mentioned earlier I called the DEA offices this week. I've given up on the Office of National Drug Control Policy, but the DEA, Mr. Uh, Stephen Robertson, told me that uh, they're still considering who might be the proper one to bring on my show. But, you know, I had about a 10-minute uh, disagreement with him, and I, I don't anticipate they're going to be doing it. But insofar as Mr. Robertson and maybe some of the folks at the DEA office, I'm not going to call them cowards, but for the most part, all of them are absolute cowards. For 90-plus years, the government has led the way to the final solution for drug criminal eradication. We call this journey the drug war. Good people understand that the drug menace threatens the very existence of freedom and democracy and must be purged from our society at any cost. The government is dedicated to this cause. State, local, and federal governments combined spend an estimated $50 billion-plus every year to fight the good fight. We have passed clever laws to circumvent constitutional obstructions. We have merged government and corporate powers together by providing tax relief to corporations that implement random drug testing policies. We have placed restrictions on school grants and home loans denying drug criminals access to their benefits. And if you think we're dedicated now, wait till you see what's next. Our drug czar wants marijuana rescheduled to harsh and penalties for possession. Wisconsin Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner wants criminal stigma placed on those who would not turn in their drug criminal friends and relatives. Technology now offers the drug warriors red light cameras, face recognition software, RFID microchips, and a variety of other innovative techniques. In time, no drug criminal will be safe. So write your congressman today and tell him that you want more drug war or don't. It's pretty much the same thing. This has been Winston Francis with the official 
government truth. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. We must take care of our own. Our community has a drug war problem. We also have a drug problem since some of our children, close friends and family members, are using illegal drugs. People make mistakes. But if you think you have a problem when someone you love uses drugs, you probably haven't experienced the nightmare of having your child, close friend or family member arrested for having illegal drugs. Your loved one is expelled from school, loses her scholarships, loses his job, gets evicted from her apartment, forfeits his car, loses her children to foster care, gets warehoused with hardened criminals, loses the right to vote, and may, and may, like poor Letitia Tapia, be handed over to a for-profit jail where she will be raped, beaten, humiliated, and abandoned until in desperation she takes her own life by hanging herself in her cell. She was jailed for possession of marijuana. A life imperiled by drugs cannot be corrected by destroying the community with drug war. There are alternatives, community-based treatment and supervision that's better, more compassionate, more effective, and less expensive. But only if we come together and make the decision to provide them ourselves, we can either make a better way for ourselves or accept what we are given. We must take care of our own. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. I, I think it's important that we realize there is no common sense involved in this drug war. It is an upside-down policy with no hope of success, ever. I'm uh, Rick Doblin, the Ph.D., the president and founder of Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. Rick, there was a ruling came down this past Tuesday from the Supreme Court about the uh, South American drug ayahuasca. Please tell us your interpretation, what that might mean. What the ruling was about was a small group of people who have a religion that's legal in Brazil that uses the drug ayahuasca as part of its religious services, and they've set up a branch in the United States, and they were, uh, unfortunately, had some of their tea seized by customs, and since then, since around the last five, six years, they've been trying to get legal permission to continue their religious use of ayahuasca. And they've wanted every step of the way up to the Supreme Court. And the DEA and the Department of Justice uh, really doesn't know when to stop. And so they've kept going after this religion, and they've made a series of claims about how the Controlled Substances Act requires the complete prohibition of this tea, about how the Religious Freedom Restoration Act doesn't really apply, about how international treaties wouldn't permit it, and that it's really dangerous and it has to be protected, uh, people have to be protected from using ayahuasca. And the Supreme Court rejected all of those arguments unanimously and said that this group can keep importing the tea and can use it in their ritual context. And what's very important here is that the Native American church have a similar freedom to use peyote, but the federal government has tried to restrict that religion to people who have 25% or more Native blood. And here with the ayahuasca group, it's mostly white people, mostly you know people who would otherwise not be seen as unusual or minority, and yet they've chosen to enhance their spirituality, their spiritual practices through the use of ayahuasca. And so it's got incredible potential to 
this particular ruling to apply to any American, not just people who have 25% or more native blood. And it really is an endorsement of the idea that psychedelics can be used safely within certain contexts. Now, MAPS is trying to work on therapeutic contexts, and yet we have to spend $5 million or more, five years or more, doing all the data gathering. And so the Supreme Court ruling yesterday basically says that legal contexts have now been created for religious use of psychedelics in certain circumstances. So it's a tremendous ruling. The government has lost on all counts unanimously. And I think slowly over time, this is going to erode the fear-based messages that the government puts out about the dangers of psychedelics and will lead towards an appreciation for the role that psychedelics can play in enhancing people's spirituality and psychological health. Rick, you mentioned MAPS there several times, and let's remind the listeners that that is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies on the web at MAPS, M-A-P-S dot org. Rick, you guys work with uh, the legislators, you work with uh, the populace in general to educate them about the fact that these, these drugs are not the, uh, the danger that the government proclaims. Yeah, although I would say that we don't take the position that these drugs are without risk, and in fact... You know, a lot of the things that the government says is true, it's just that they vastly exaggerate it. And then other things that the government says are just false. But we're right now in the midst of a lawsuit against the DEA for the last five years blocking our efforts for a farm to produce marijuana for medical research. And we've had a ironic, un unbelievable situation where for the last almost three years now, we've been unable to buy 10 grams of marijuana from the government. They have a monopoly on the supply for vaporizer research. And so our lawsuit against the DEA is really encouraging. We've passed all of the testimony, all of the hearings, and we're now in the briefing stage. And so the fact that the Supreme Court would uphold the use of Alaska shows that the DEA has gone too far out of the mainstream in a lot of different ways, particularly in this you know, specifically in this use of ayahuasca. And we feel that the DEA has also gone too far in terms of the medical use of marijuana, trying to block the research and block the science. My name is Angel Rach. I'm a mother of two teenage children, and I fought all the way to the Supreme Court for the right to use the medicine that saved my life. I've been permanently disabled for 10 years. The medicine that gave me my life back and gave my kids their mom back was cannabis, also known as medical marijuana. To learn more about medical marijuana, contact Marijuana Policy Project at 1-877-JOIN-MPP or on the web at mpp.org. What will it take to motivate? Please visit drugtruth.net. Educate yourself, you can embolden yourself, and you can become part of the change that is necessary to end this approaching 92-year-old war on drugs. A couple of quick program notes. First, I want to thank WBOR in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, they're going to be carrying some of the 420 reports up there, and I thank them for joining up and becoming our 51st affiliate. Next week, San Francisco attorney Tony Serra will be with us to talk about what he thinks of this recent Supreme Court ruling on the Sacramento use of 
those psychedelics and what that will mean legally, what challenges and perhaps progress we can make with that in that regard. We'll also hear from Will Harrell of the uh, Texas ACLU, and uh, he'll be talking about a report that was recently released that uh, showed the prevalence, the uh, uh, racial bigotry involved in all this racial profiling, pulling people over, forcing them to pop the trunk and let you look under the seats, uh, and how it leads to... Uh, no uh, curtailment of crime. It's just a hassle. It's just a, uh, a breaking of our constitutional rights. Um, you are the answer. I, I urge you to visit our, our website, endprohibition.org. There you can uh, uh, get a quick access to the toll-free number to reach your U.S. congressman. And uh, also you can team up with 15 of the best drug reform organizations on the planet. I've got the links there. You can, as I said, educate yourself, embolden yourself, and dare to help make this change. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you really don't know what's in that bag. And uh, that's how the government likes it. But uh, I urge you to just please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of an abyss. <laughs>